Hi, let's uh, start with a prayer together. The psalmist says, the command of the Lord's a radiant, giving light to the eyes. So Father, help us now to respond to your word by walking in the light. Amen. Well, as a dentist, uh, my mother would send out reminder letters for checkups. And uh, that was all to ensure that people kept on top of their teeth. And she'd say, better to address an issue early than let decay set in, Philip. Well, similarly, here, John writes a checkup, you might think. Not of our oral health, though, but of our spiritual health. It's to check if we're genuine in the faith. Why? Well, if you were to flip back, uh, forward to chapter 5, you'd see John writes that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John wants to give people assurance of their relationship with God. How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, John's going to help us see. And so as with my mother checking up on dental health, today we'll have God checking up, if you like, on our spiritual health and giving his diagnosis. And as we'll see, good spiritual health will show itself in a life of love. Love for God shown in obedience to him and love for others shown in service of him. As we continue on in our series, in our church values, our aim today is that we're spurred to show Christ-like love to God's family. That's our goal. Now, so far in uh, 1 John, we've seen that it's possible to know God. God appeared in Jesus in history. He was heard, he was seen and touched. And the truth about him is recorded in the Bible. So by humbly listening to God's words, we nurture that biblical faith, that first value, and that gives us gospel hope. And the outworking of that faith and hope is a life, a life of Christ-like love. Now this first mark John gives of true faith is this, that genuine Christians obey God's commands. Verses 3 to 6 We know we've come to know him if we keep his commands. John's quite clear. He's saying the mark that we truly know God is we obey his words. He then sort of puts it negatively in the next verse. For whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. It's quite strong. And then he puts it further in a slightly different way in the next few verses. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So the mark of being one of God's people is is not what we say about our faith, but it's how we live. It's, It's our life. It's not about fundamentally whether we have great Bible knowledge or could say we once had a powerful experience of the Spirit or regularly attend church even are baptised or confirmed, as important as all those things are, no, they're not fundamental markers of true faith. You see, Christianity is not about making public declarations or experiencing a life event, but it is itself a life. And baptism, as we've seen today, is the beginning of that life, a life lived in that direction of loving obedience towards God. Just think about this. Imagine there's someone who maybe you know who calls himself a marathon runner. They've got all the gear, all the energy gels. 
But all they ever do is show up at the start line. Well, that would prove their claim to be false. Only those in the race behaving like runners are genuine, however fast or slow they might be. Now, look, John is not saying that we become Christians by obeying God's commands. If I wear a doctor's outfit to a fancy dress party, not that one, obviously. It doesn't make me a doctor, does it? And in the same way, obeying God's commands doesn't make me a Christian. We've already seen in uh, the first part of 1 John that we've all sinned. It's only because of Jesus' death in our place that we can be forgiven. There's no earning our way to God's favour. Think about uh, a child that's been adopted. If they're less obedient than the parents would like, does that mean they're not fully adopted? No, of course it doesn't. But that doesn't mean that the parents wouldn't be happier to see their child behave in a way that was more obedient and honoured them more fully. You see, obedience doesn't make us Christians, but being a Christian will make you want to obey God. We don't obey God, though, to keep in his good books, because as I've just mentioned, it's, it's not about rules. That's a common misunderstanding that Christianity is about rules. When actually, verse 5, it's about love being made complete. See on your sheets there, verse 5, it's about love being made complete. And that's through this relationship of God's initiative and our response. And becoming a Christian is, if you like, connecting deeply with the creator of the universe. And to really fully experience that love, we need to obey our creator. John knows we won't do this perfectly and As we heard last week in chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we mustn't despair when we sin because what do we do when we sin? We confess our sins, as John says, and receive God's forgiveness. But the warning sign should be on if we keep walking in sin and darkness with no intention or desire to ever walk in the light. You see, from verse 3 here, John was likely writing because of false teachers who said, look, there's no need for you to obey God as a Christian. But John says a a clear no to that. Imagine a soldier who uh, never followed their commander, never even listened to them, just ignored them. At what point are they no longer a legitimate soldier? And you see, many who would claim Christ's name today by the life they're living are actually showing, no, they're not Christians at all. False teaching was around in John's time, hence his writing, and it's still with us today. Culture's affirmation does not equal God's approval. You see, true Christians obey God's word. They follow God and not the world. Now, to understand what that means, we need to know what our attitude is to the word of God. How do we think of his word to us in the Bible? Well, the uh, once famous cricketer of uh, some years ago, probably uh, around the time J.C. Ryle was writing that book that was given out at baptism. His name was C.T. Studd. And he was once found up in the middle of the night by a host who had him for that evening. And seeing the light from coming from under Studd's bedroom door, they knocked to check all was okay. And there inside was Stud 
leaning over his Bible under a dim light. And on being asked what he was doing, Stard replied, Jesus said that if I love him, I will obey what he commands. So I'm reading through all his commands to see if there are any I'm not obeying. You see, Jesus perfectly understood God's commands and perfectly obeyed them. We don't do that, but he did. And yet John says here in verse 6 that if we claim to have a faith, then we need to strive to live as Jesus did. He's our example. So we need to know what he says in his word. We need to walk his walk. Of course, we'll fall short here and there. But the question is, are we striving to become like Jesus? John says, look, if you are, you can be confident that God's at work in you and that your faith is genuine. Maybe today as I'm speaking, you're, you're wondering whether you do truly know God. Maybe you find yourself lacking assurance in your faith. Well, perhaps today is the time to just ask yourself a question. Are there areas in your life where you keep saying, I know what God commands, but I'm going to go my own way? It could be anything, really. You'll know. It could be your use of your time or money, thinking it's all yours and not God's. Maybe it's our attitude at college or in the workplace. We take unethical shortcuts here and there. We do things we know are wrong. Maybe it's ignoring God's word about what we put into our minds, what we do with our bodies or other people's bodies, what we do online, what we do with our tongues, bringing people down, lying here and there. Maybe just a general indifference towards God's people. And John says, look, you you can't be sure you know God if you deliberately hold areas of your life back from him. Because verse 3, we come to know him if we keep his commands. That's the first mark John gives of true faith amongst God's people. The second one is that genuine Christians show this Christ-like love. This church value we're looking at this autumn of showing Christ-like love. Look down at verse 7. We see that the command to love one another is an old command. It's from the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, he made it a new commandment because he said, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is the supreme example of love. He died for the unworthy, the unlovely, the undeserving. And here John writes, that look, this same supernatural love of Christ is the love that we're now to have for each other. This Christ-like love between believers is that hallmark of the light of God shining in. And John says, look, I, I see this here. I see this love. He's therefore writing to Christians. He can see that love at work. And he wants to encourage them that by showing this love, they are truly in the faith. And we too are in the faith if we love in that way. We have the power by God's Spirit in us to love each other in that Christ-like way. To shine God's light into the darkness of this world through loving others as Jesus loves. Now look, it's not that we don't love people outside God's family. Of course not. Of course we love friends and family who we know don't follow Jesus. 
But John singles out here the unique love that believers are to have for one another. Because Christ-like love begins with God's people. And as that love is shown within the church, it bears this attractive witness to a watching world. That's the shape that Christ-like love takes. A love of God's people that follows Christ's sacrificial love. And it's a key mark of a true believer. John sort of reinforces the point in verses 9 and 10. He says, look, if, if you don't show love, concern or interest in the lives of other Christians, if you're indifferent to them, then you basically hate them. He doesn't give a neutral position. He, he draws this contrast between love and hate. It's quite strong. So we need to ask ourselves, are we showing this kind of Christ-like love? Of course, not perfectly. Christians are about progress, not perfection. But are we showing that love even in small ways? Do we seek the welfare of others here, serving where we can? Do we pray for the people of our church in our personal time? This winter especially will be a a time for us to show Christ-like love to each other with the cost of living crisis. And if we can honestly say, yeah, there are signs of that love in me. I can see that direction of love within. Then be encouraged. But if, honestly, deep within, all we sense is an indifference, then we may need to rethink just where we are spiritually. In historic uh, mining culture, pit ponies, as they were called, would pull heavy loads of coal through the mines made only worse by the fact that it was all done in darkness. And as a result, the ponies began to go blind. They were, in effect, to pick up on John's language, blinded by the darkness, no longer able to work in the light. There's a warning there, you see. We need to make sure we walk in that direction of the light of showing Christ-like love to each other. Because as John writes, if we call ourselves Christians but have no love for each other, then we're actually just living in darkness. If we keep committing to that darkness, if we keep withholding our love, our hearts will harden until they're just consumed by the darkness of the self. There was a series uh, done by Adam Curtis, the uh, producer, about the 21st century called The Century of the Self. You see, it'll be so easy to quickly become consumed by ourselves and then we'll see that we'll become, as so much is shown in culture, people being quick to judge, gossip, slander, hate. We'll become full of that darkness. We need to have soft hearts of love towards each other. When I was working for a church in Northampton some years back, a few of us once went for a walk along the mile-long disused railway tunnel in Kelmarsh. I checked it was disused before we started. And at the half mile point, of course, it was pitch black. We couldn't see anything. And uh, as we stumbled about, we could see in the distance a small light shining. And the, the more we walked towards it, the brighter the light shone. And the brighter it shone, the easier it became to continue walking along the path. And it's a bit like that in the genuine Christian life, as we 
move out and away from the selfishness of darkness and hate towards the light of love for God's people in the pattern of Christ. You see, the true believer will not want to stay in the tunnel at the half-mile point in the darkness. There's a movement, there's a direction of travel. Now, perhaps this morning you can already look back and say, do you know, I wouldn't have cared for that person much some time ago. They're so different from me, that annoyed me. But now I can see God soften my heart. He's changed me. There was nothing for me to gain from that person previously. Only things for me to give of myself. But now I want to serve them. I want to love them. That's genuine faith showing itself. You see, God's people obey his commands. And one of those commands is to show Christ-like love. So we show Christ-like love out of obedience to God. Can you see the dynamic at work? Why John's written in this way? Now look, yes, we'll still have sin within us. We depend on Christ for forgiveness. But those depending on Christ will seek to bring their lives under the rule of Christ. Because sin forgiven leads to sin forsaken. And that is truly an abundant life. An honest life, a full life. A life lived for God and his people. A life that stretches into eternity. With its focus, as verse 17 speaks of, on what is to come. Because this world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see, God's true people live in obedience to his commands and show Christ-like love. They love each other. You see, in this life, there are two ways to live and there's two ways to love. So where the world turns our love in on ourselves, Christ-like love turns us outward towards each other. Christ-like love does not ask, what can I gain? But what can I give? So as we see these marks of John's tests in our lives, then together we can be full of confidence and assurance that we know the living God. And Christ-like love will flow from within us out to God's people and his world. On a recent trip to a National Trust property, there was a display that recreated an 18th century dinner party. The food looked so real, I almost felt like eating it. But had I bitten in, I would not only have broken my teeth, much to my mother's frustration, but I also would have immediately realized it was completely fake. So close in likeness on the outside, but in essence, nothing like the real thing. And as John has bitten into us today, it will have been, I hope for many, a moment of deep assurance that our faith is genuine. But for others, it may have meant coming to terms with the tough reality that spiritually we're like that imitation food. We perhaps try to look and present as the real thing. But by John's markers of true faith, we know deep down that we're not authentic. 
And if that's you, then please see today as an opportunity not to leave sad, but to leave hopeful. Because coming to that realisation might just be for you the first step to a genuine faith. Because ultimately, Christ-like love also longs for people to come to Christ. Amen.